so th- this is why I said this was a tough generational question. Because what I was thinking about a couple of days ago was look at our parents' generation and they could easily look at our generation and say, well, we didn't have all that and we turned out fine. And so yeah, you, you don't, don't need any be of that. that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I can look at younger generation and go, well, I didn't need all that. You don't need all that. But at the same time, this is the lived, this is their lived reality, right? So what, do, what does that mean, lived reality? What do you mean by that? Um, this is it's the reality that they are living in. Um, for for isn't, me to isn't say, just for, reality reality. Like, why do we have to do we have to to label it a something a that's lived? Isn't just reality reality? Uh, boy. You like the big questions, Chris. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm trying. There's Why terms, do I need that qualifier? There's terms that I hear that innately make me feel weird. Like, why did we throw lived in experience? Mm. Isn't experience, in fact, by the nature of the definition, one that you experience? Like, like why, why do we, I mean, I'm just... I'm not trying to be philosophical. I'm not trying to break down words. It's just interesting to me why I hear these terms sometimes. And I'm kind of like, what, what do you, what it, is it different than just reality? Or is it, is it, does it mean something else that we're all talking about? Like we think we know what people are talking about. But we don't really know. So let me, let me put it this way. When, so when I'm saying it's his lived reality, it's not my lived reality at his age. So right? it's not, so, it wasn't, so wait, wait. You could say it's his reality. Yes. But it wasn't your reality. It was, it was not my reality. reality. Right. So what's the fun- the function verbally of lived? Hello and welcome to the Bristol Podcast on iCode Media. Today I'm having a great conversation with my friend, Dr. Kevin Powers, who I've been trying to have on this podcast for a long time. He uh, He's a running buddy of mine. And as I usually do this, I sort of just start with a conversation, but today I'm going to give an introduction before we do our conversation, and I'm sure it's going to be a, a wonderful discussion. I've actually been waiting for Dr. Powers to come on the podcast for uh, about a year and a half, um, so I'm excited to do this with him. Um, as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. We've been providing myopia control treatments in our practice for years. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, CooperVision has received FDA approval of its innovative MySight one-day contact lens. This will be the cornerstone of a comprehensive myopia management approach to be offered by CooperVision. This daily wear, single-use contact lens is the first and only FDA-approved product clinically proven to slow the progression of myopia when initially prescribed for children 8 to 12 years old and when compared to children in the control group wearing a single vision one day contact lens. Check out the show notes for all the specific prescribing details and to get more information about this lens and how you can begin to offer it in your practice. So Kevin, um, you and I have talked a lot about kind of the psychology of um, of students specifically because that's kind mm-hmm. of what you do but sure. but before we jump into all of that kind of uh because the listeners don't know your your history uh i asked you to be on here today because we were because i wanted to kind of pick your brain about the psychological aspects of students both before covid and after covid because you and i talked about that way before covid so give us a little bit of background in psychology and and um 
and what you do on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Uh, so my, as Chris mentioned, my background's in psychology. Um, I got my doctoral degree, gosh, a number of years ago um, in clinical psychology and have spent some time working as a psychologist, doing therapy, doing assessments, things like that, um, and working with students. Um, let's see, I want to say this is probably, well, about a decade or so ago. Um, I actually moved out of doing therapy, doing psychologist, true stereotypically kind of psychologist kind of stuff, um, and move towards more academic success related work. Uh, so working with students on helping them be successful in the classroom. Um, wait, what was the impetus for that? So, um, the, so you're, you're a PhD. Correct. And the, there's two different degrees for psychology. Pretend like I'm an infant and sure, I sure. have no idea the difference between the two. Sure. Um, so PhD, um, your doctorate, in what philosophy um, emphasized in psychology. That is uh, a little bit more research-based. Um, so you'll do a thesis, you'll do a dissertation, well, thesis for the master's degree, dissertation for the PhD. Um, the other is what's called a PsyD, um, doctorate in psychology. That would be the, what, um, I'll call it a clinical degree. Um, so, oh, you said that with such disdain. It's <laughs> <laughs> is that, but that's typically the difference in path, right? PhDs are probably going to want to do more research in psychology. Uh, PsyDs are probably going to want to be more clinicians. Correct. But either could probably either can do either. Right. Yes. Um, you may see more PhDs in like an academic setting. Um, and PsyDs in more clinical settings, but that does not mean you won't see a PsyD in um, academia or a PhD working in clinical environments. So then you were primarily right out of, right out of your dissertation. Mm-hmm. Did you do a postdoc? Uh, no. So then you go from your dissertation, you take your board examinations, you I get licensed. A, I had to do your internship um, okay. uh, to get clinical hours to sit for the licensing exam, pass the licensing exam, and you know, then you're you're a working psychologist. What type of um, patients were you seeing when you were in clinical practice? Um, <clears throat> with students, I was um, seeing there's a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Um, given the age range, um, you'd see some adjustment disorders. Did you um, limit your practice to, to younger kids? Like- uh, I was working primarily just with college age students. Okay. Always. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, well, no, that's not true. And so graduate experience really ranged, um, really sort of ran the gamut. I mean, I had practical experiences at a juvenile detention center, Mm. uh, state psychiatric hospital, um, substance abuse treatment facility, uh, the university clinic, which operated more like a community mental health center. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> uh, so all, all of that was kind of fascinating experience. Um, but I sort of left each of those experiences going, well, this is interesting and this is fascinating, but I don't know that this is really what I want to do with, uh, uh, this degree. And then started working with students and, um, I've always really enjoyed education. Um, and so the opportunity to work with students in that sort of developmental age range was really turned out to be really rewarding. Um, 
what I found was what sort of the impetus for shifting away from the the counseling and doing true therapy kind mm-hmm. of work um, <clears throat> was I found myself drawn more and more towards helping students um, tackle the challenges that were preventing them from being successful in the classroom. Um, and some of that is, you know, maybe stress, maybe um, just not really understanding the learning process um, and how to apply that to my, your studying so that when you are trying to ace an exam, um, move from B's to A's, C's to B's, failing to passing, um, you're doing it in a way that is, I'll say evidence-based um, <laughs> rather than I'm doing this because I've, I'm studying this way because this is why I've always studied. Right. Um, what, uh, what percentage of um, the students that you work with? So you work with professional students specifically. And um, what percentage of those students are taking um, focusing medications? We'll just leave it broad and open-ended like that. Oh, that's a good question. To be honest, I don't know. Because um, it's not something... Because um, you're right now not serving in their capacity as like their... Like, well, maybe you are. Are you serving in capacity as their therapist no. as opposed to their coach? More coach, right? I really, coach, not therapist. Um, it's and and that is something um, I remind them of. Um, I'm I'm here to kind of support their academic success. Um, I'm not doing therapy. I'm not doing counseling in my office. That's not the the relationship that we have. Um, I think the benefit of me is can recognize things maybe a little bit quicker and refer them to either mental health services on campus or somewhere else in the community um, to help fulfill or excuse me, facilitate those connections a little bit easier. Um, So I do have to remind them because sometimes you get a listening ear and people just want to share Hmm. more than, more than they (laughs) would normally share. Yeah, like if you're on a 13 mile run and you just sort of (laughs) forget what you're talking about. Exactly right. Exactly right. The irony is you tell when people find out, that you have um, any sort of background in, in psychology, one of two things is going to happen. <laughs> They're either going to tell you nothing, right, and just sort of clam up, or they tell you way too much. Which one do I do? Well, Chris, you're always you're always <laughs> talking. I don't think that has anything to do with me being no, having a background true. in psychology it, or not. No, that's true. Yeah, it's something I think is something magical about running. Honestly, oh yeah. What, what do you think that is when you think about maybe there's a psychological aspect of that? But is there something? I, I always think that there's something about endorphins, something about bonding together in, in something hard that breaks barriers down and builds trust. Am I just full of garbage or is there something to that? Oh, no, I think I, that makes some sense to me as well. Uh, I think the shared experience of really anything is a powerful thing. Um, I think the beauty of running, it, it's hard. Um, depending on where you are, one mile can be ridiculously right. difficult um as we were training and and trying to get me up to a marathon i remember getting up to 20 and you're like you got another six and uh, 6.2 in you and i go <laughs> no I, I do not while you're still breathing just fine right but so, i believe in that marathon you beat me in that marathon didn't well you? i mean i wasn't I, it depends can you edit this podcast because um i can edit it i'm not going to <laughs> <laughs> i mean i may have i may have crossed um before you physically Mm. right mentally though 
you're right there with me. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Thanks you for bet. That. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, that was a grueling one for me. I, so I think I mean that, there's a lot uh, there's a lot in in running that that uh, I mean that I think about in terms of like mental barriers, right? Uh, doing something hard where you know you like physically. And we've talked about this before yes. too. Where so go ahead, I'll, I'll let well, you. Well, I, I so there there's I guess two points. One was um, in terms of the the bond that gets built while you're running. Um, the other thing I appreciate about it is simply the time where if you're out running and, you know, we might be out for hour, hour and a half, sometimes mm-hmm. two, and you go, we can't just surface, have surface conversations and talk about the weather or um, what's going on over the weekend in local sports, right? It, at some point, conversation has to turn to more meaningful things. Um, and so you move to a different, different level and builds different connection. To your point about it being like the, that marathon being a grueling marathon, I am, I've been floored just how much of running is mental. Mm. Um, my body will go a lot farther than my brain thinks it will. Mm-hmm. Like as um, we were talking earlier, I was trying to get some miles in before I was coming over here <laughs> to do this podcast. Um, and it was hot and I wasn't hydrated and hadn't had enough to eat. So physically, not the best idea I'd ever had, but I was, I don't know if I was even two miles, maybe I was at two miles, maybe in change. And you have the thought, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't do this. And couldn't get it out of my head. Hmm. Um, <laughs> turned around and at some point I started walking and every time I walk, I always, no, well, I always hear your voice. <laughs> don't walk. Don't walk. <laughs> From when we were training, you go, just don't walk. I don't care if you're, if you're running at a walking pace. Don't walk. It's true, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yes. So it, it's yeah. mental. Yeah, it is. I, I so, I mean, I think there's there's. I'm always amazed um, when I when I talk to people what they think they can't do. I yes. mean, you know, you, you, you I'll talk to patients and I'll and I you know I'll be like, oh, you know, you should come do this or come do that, or I'll just talk to other people. I oh, should come. Do this. I can't get up at five fifteen. I can't get up at five thirty. Man, I, I couldn't. I couldn't keep up with you. It's like, that's not the, like, I'll keep up with you. Like, that's not, you know, we'll, we'll we'll go there. It's, and, and so I guess my point is, is I just expand that to other parts of life. And do you see a lot of that with, with students or do you see any of that in your, oh yeah. When you are a counselor or when you're a coach? So what's, what's interesting, um, is as reading through some of the, some of the books on my shelf and one of the things they were talking about is, uh, the impact of mindset. Right, so a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Um, fixed mindset being um, from, like, let's say, from an academic standpoint, uh, I'm this smart, so I can only mm. do this well. Right, mm. I only have this amount of intelligence. It's not, it's not anything that is fluid or can be developed or grow. As opposed to a growth mindset, I'm the smart, but I can get smarter. Right, or uh, we're talking. Um, running i'm trying to do speed work to get faster as mm-hmm. opposed to looking at my times each week and going this is just how fast i am mm-hmm. right so that's fixed growth is going to say well if i put some work in it and dedicate to it i can get faster as hard as that's going to be um we have i see it in students where they'll sort of have in their mind i'm not a good test taker and there is certainly some skill and strategy to recognize and understanding how tests are made and how, what, what it is that you're being asked and how you're being asked and be able to recognize those things. Um, 
but at the same time, I think part of the, the obstacle there is really that fixed mindset where you've told yourself, I'm, I can't do this. And how, then how prevalent is it? Do you think? And why do you think people get into that mindset? How are we trained that way? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I suspect some of it nature versus nurture is I'm going to guess is both. Hmm. Um, like most things, um, it's always right. The great debate, how much of us and who we are is our genetics and how we're hardwired and how much it is of it is the environment in which we're raised. Um, the answer is the estimates range from what 30, <laughs> no, like 39% to 61%. So you go, right. okay, so we're talking 50, 50, yeah. right? Um, it's like a weatherman. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's it. right. <laughs> I'm close enough in the ballpark. Yeah. It may rain. It may not. Um, so I think some of that might be how we're wired. Um, and that, you know, you may just have what a personality and mindset that maybe is just more, um, rigid in that way of thinking or, um, closed off to, to newer ideas or other possibilities. Um, but at the same time, I think you can have someone that maybe is more open, but if you grow up in an environment that kind of always tells you mm. that here's what you're good at, here's what you're not good at, um, you know, we take that stuff in and we can internalize those things, right? It's, it's, you pay attention to what gets rewarded, what gets punished. Um, you know, am I focused on, hooray, you got a B, looks like you're a B student, mm. Or are we talking about, hey, you got to be, but look at all that effort, man. You worked hard. Let's keep focusing on working hard um, and see where that can take you. Um, that could certainly give you a different mindset. Have we gone too far p down the path societally where, where we kind of limit people's own expectations of themselves by kind of informing them of what they can and can't do? Hmm. Gosh, from a societal standpoint, I don't know. Um, that's hard. Um, <coughs> I'm asking you to paint a broad brush. I know. Yeah. But well, paint I think, away. Well, I friend. think that's. I think that's where I'm struggling. Um, because in your experience, yeah, with the people, the patients you've worked with in the past, and the people you've worked with now, is there any sense of changes in society? that tell them that they're limited in some way or shape or form. I don't know that I would identify any, any changes in society. Um, I think where, where I sort of struggle is, is with painting with that broad of a brush. Um, Cause I'm always, whether I was working with, um, students as a client or working with students as a coach, I'm always sort of focused on that student mm -hmm. um, and what their, their way of orienting themselves to the world, their way of orienting themselves to their studies um, and sort of the environmental influences. Um, so what is their immediate environment, their immediate culture, right? Um, so, depending on the age of the student, because I mean, they can range some, it might, maybe you're still living at home. And so you, you wonder what kind of, um, messages come from 
or responses you get from parents, um, friends, significant others, like whoever it is that's in their circle. Um, but to think at a, at a larger societal level, what I'm asking, be difficult. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, you made the, the comment of nurturing versus nature. Mm-hmm. And you made the comment that, you know, certainly a B student who worked his butt off to get a B mm-hmm. is different than, than a B student who completely slacked off and just got a B. So uh, are we, I guess, you know, with the things like, you know, you always hear about everybody gets a trophy, right? So then the kids that, that are rewarded mm-hmm. for doing nothing and the kids that are rewarded the same, right? as the kids that were rewarded for doing nothing that worked really hard, but, but like achieved more than what they could have like actually done. If they would have just like played at their level, they just played up mm-hmm. versus kids that just played down. I'm using sports as a, sports yeah, as an sure. analogy, but, but, but I guess my point is, is does that actually factor into people's behaviors or is that just sort of a talking point that people discuss? Do you think it's a real effect of, you know, you have a St. Wenceslas uh, soccer tournament and everybody gets a medal at the end, which is nice. I like it. It feels good. But um, but what does that do to my do? willingness to, to really continue to push and work hard right. if I'm going to get a reward anyway? Right. Or is there a way to translate, translate that at some point where that reward has to be really rewarded as opposed to like just being because? Hmm. That's a, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause here's, so there's rewards and punishments, right? So things that are rewarded, we're going to do more things that are punished. We're going to do less. Um, so I can appreciate why we're going to reward everyone's participation, right? There people are doing what they can do. Um, But does that deflate? Um, it wouldn't. I guess it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if maybe it. I don't want to say devalues um, the impact of that reward in that everyone's getting it regardless of um, the effort or the outcome. Um, so maybe the reward is um, what varied in some way. Um, from an academic standpoint, we're talking about A's versus B's yeah. versus C's, yeah. right? Um, and a question of what is it that you want to get? What are you willing to work for? Um, the difficult, I, I think that part of the challenge is, as, as you sort of alluded to, there are certainly some people that, they can cram the night before and still ace things. Um, And other people have been studying for a week and are just squeaking by. Um, That's a challenge. What, when you think about the psychology of that, do you think that everybody, that most people by the time they get to professional school, Mm -hmm is aware of the type of person they are in that specific realm? Like, are they aware that they're the guy that can study the night before 
versus the guy that knows they just have to, and then they're aware of that and they kind of lean into it. I would, I would, I would say they're aware of that history. Mm-hmm. Oh, very, very much so. Um, what's interesting about sort of doing the work that I do, um, at some point, everybody. Okay, so I will paint with a bit of a broad, fine, a yeah. broad brush. At some point, everybody kind of realizes, oh, now I've got to work harder, right? What I'm doing hasn't worked. <laughs> um, I think we have those moments at, at various points, right? Um, I remember uh, failing a math test in the sixth grade, right? And that still has stuck out to me. Why? I didn't pay attention to the signs. I'm not making that mistake again, right? So lesson learned. Yep. Um, you failed. Yes. You had a negative consequence. You decided you're not going to do that again. Yes. And so I check my work now, right? Uh, the second was my freshman year in high school. Um, and that biology class was, I mean, it, it, it kicked me in the rear. Um, really, really shook me. But I learned, okay, I have to... I'll put in air quotes, double my efforts, right? I got, I have to work harder. Um, I have to be smarter about what it is that I'm doing, what the strategies I've been using don't work anymore. Um, and we then was able to make that adjustment and do fine. Um, so I think everybody I think has those experiences and over time you sort of develop this identity of this is how I am as a student. Um, I can get by with minimum work or I got to work my tail off just to, to get through this stuff or get a C. Um, and yes, people are aware that, yes, I think they kind of internalize that identity in the same way we have an identity for anything else, right? You'll have an identity as a practitioner. Um, you have an identity as podcast (laughs) producer, right? Um, identity as a runner and people have, will have an identity as a student. Um, and I would imagine that's probably still true for you, um, knowing that, Practitioners, you still got to do continuing education and things like that, right? Yeah. Um, and so you have a mindset of, okay, well, this is what I need to do to be to get through this material. Um, the challenge for for a person like me is when they hit one of those bumps or one of those ceilings that they got to work through at the professional level. You've got twenty plus years of educational history mm. that says. This is what I do to be successful. Um, and sometimes it's really good stuff. And sometimes it's just, this is what I've always done. And so I'm trying to, to get them on board to trying something new based on research around, this is how we learn. This is how our memories work. This is how we um, build those connections in our brain to be able to store stuff and pull stuff back out. Um, the challenge is it at the higher level, it, it feels like there's more riding on it, right? So right. why am I going to try this new thing and potentially risk another exam grade? Um, and because we can make things bigger than they are, risk this exam grade in my professional future, right? Right. For something you're telling me to do that I've never tried when I'm just going to do what I've always done, but do it more. Right. Um, so it's kind of like, well, you're on this hamster wheel. You're running faster. Good job. But you're still not going anywhere. 
do you think that, so I, I have the same kind of story, right? I can remember this time for me, I, I was a totally me- mediocre student mm-hmm. in, in high school and even undergrad, you know, I, I, um, I think I was probably always underperforming. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then in optometry school, I tried to change my behavior. So I was a crammer mm-hmm. and I tried to change my behavior. And so I was like really prepared. I remember my first anatomy and physiology test and it probably had something to do with the fact that I think she probably made it really hard and they were just trying to see how you react. I think there's probably sure. something to it. But so I like kept up on everything. I studied every night, tried to, you know, be really organized. And then I bombed. I probably got like a D, you know, the first one. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? And I, I had this like, I'm sure, you know, I, that was probably the point, right? You have this reeling of yeah. like, oh, can I, can I do this? Am I in a place where I shouldn't be? And so I did a couple of things. First, I reverted back to sure. like what what was good, but also, you know, my my perspective was I got to learn this stuff. I can't just like regurgitate it for a test. So there's got to be a way yeah. that I can learn it throughout. So I, what I got really good at was just focusing in the lectures, like focusing in person, taking active notes, and then like thinking about the things that somebody was talking about. And that's it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. That's what I what I'm talking with students about. Um, the cramming is a blessing and a curse because cramming's great for short term gains, right? Cramming's better than nothing. Hmm. The problem is, it's you're holding it briefly, and then once you take that exam, you walk out of there. That stuff is is gone, right? Take another exam two days later, it's not. It won't go well. But it gives you that sort of immediate return. It's just not a lasting thing. The shift is becoming more actively and just people people talk about it as active. I talk about it as being an intentional. Uh-huh. Um, so you would then go to lectures with the plan in mind, with the purpose of I'm walking out of here with some semblance of an understanding of what we're talking about a solid, complete set of notes that I can work from after this. I'm going to um, think on a deeper level. So you're processing um, more in a more elaborate kind of way, right? You'll hear people often say, well, think about, um, think about a patient or a family member that has this condition, right? And it just gives you a hook because anything that we're, learning in essence we're tying into something we already know um i will i'll talk to students um about things like you know the first time you see a zebra what do people call it it's a striped horse right because you already have this idea of what a horse is and so this new information is getting tied into something that's already that's already there so as you decided to think more deeply about the material um, and what what it's saying, what its implications are, why it's going to be relevant for you. All of that is trying to build connections, which then, in essence, provides a logic to where you're storing that information. Um, we're sit- so we're sitting by your computer here. It's like, how do you organize your laptop? Cramming is just, I'm going to throw it all on the de- desktop. Super easy to access, but can't exactly find everything because there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, when you're thinking about, from a student perspective, well, this paper is for um, my history class 
in the spring of 2020 um, in this section, right? So you have all these folders and subfolders. It's more onerous to organize it that way on the front end. But two semesters later, when someone says, what'd you write that paper about? You know right where it is. And so you can recall it easier. This, that's the same process, I would argue, you were engaging in mm. when you came back and said, no, I still have to trust this process. I still got to actively engage and not just cram and dump it. What you're doing is creating a more uh, elaborate web hmm. to allow yourself to pull that information back out. How many people actually use those tools consciously when they develop them? Are they developing them consciously? Or like me, it wasn't conscious, right? It was just sort of, I, I got to figure this out because this is what I want to do and yeah. I need to be good at it. Yeah. And then, um, and then figuring out how to like pass a test beyond that is another thing. But, um, but so I got to be good at it. Do How many people do you think actually make a conscious effort of that? And if not, is there, well, I'll leave it there. How many people do you think do that? It depends if they're working with me, Chris, <laughs> you know, um, I think there are some people that become aware of the benefit, right, of doing that because you see my grades improved, my studying improves, I walk away with a better understanding, I can explain it to other people so clearly it's sticking. And so that, those positive experiences reinforce that effort. So we do kind of become aware of that process. At the same time, um, I, I think there's also a fair number of people that aren't aware and so don't do it or, um, meaning they just sort of keep doing what they've always done without stepping back to evaluate, is this working or not? Um, and if it's not, how come, and then trying to make appropriate adjustments, um, or they're doing it sort of like you, you just don't know the sort of the science behind it, the research behind it in the way that I would talk about it with you in my, in my office. How do you, how do you translate that then? Uh, well, I guess the second follow-up question I would have to that would be how many people get done with professional school and keep accessing that same sort of technique uh, in their lifelong learning process? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I don't hear from, a, from our alumni, so I don't, I mean, I wouldn't, be able to to wager a guess on that um the hope would be and i talked to students about this um because for the students that are in our in in the programs that i work with it's like i i don't have a background in those programs right so if you're asking for content specific information i am no help like <laughs> you do not want my advice but everything i'm talking about can apply to any of the subjects you're working in, working in, because um, what I'm talking about is really the learning process. Um, so the so if they and I'll tell them this, everything we're talking about for this one subject that you might be struggling in, I'll say there's nothing I'm talking about here that you cannot apply to your other courses. Um, I suspect there's some that continue to use it, and I, and I would wager there's still a fair number of people that um, use it for 
the, the one subject that they're needing to improve in and, and don't make that leap to other courses. Um, at times I, I will very in, intentionally tell them do this. What we're talking about in for this class, do that over here with this other class as well. And let's see what happens. Um, Sometimes they're kind of on board. Sometimes they're not. Oftentimes I'll just sort of present it as, well, let's run, let's just run an experiment. Let's try doing it this way. Let's see what happens. Um, so that they can have the experience. And then rather than me trying to convince them, they have their own lived experience. that will motivate them to keep doing it. Do you think that COVID has changed a lot of the things that you're dealing with or you're managing? You feel like more people are coming in with more. I know that that's not specifically what you're doing for them, but do you feel like, you know, the um, lack of human interaction or the, mm. the reduction in human interaction, the reduction of actual feedback like you and I are able to get from one another mm -hmm. instead of, uh, the oh, oh i'm sorry go ahead go ahead say what no, you're no, gonna say no, no, no. keep going yeah exactly we're doing the zoom oh, thing right? Yeah, right, right so so without being able to kind of see when you're done and and is that does that have any bearing on the types of of things that you're seeing or the anxiety that you're seeing people uh as students working with um you know i would maybe maybe indirectly um I mean, we're, we're social beings, right? So to be able even, and I'm a capital I introvert, right? Um, even weird, I, cause I don't think of you like that. Well, I, I'm an introvert that understands the benefit of doing things extrovertedly in our society. Hmm. Um, what does that mean? What do you mean by, what do you mean by extrovertedly? Like you understand you have to do it or the, that you. That is good for you to do. I understand that it's good for me to do. Mm. Do you um, like it? As, uh, aspects of it, yes. Um, it's, it, if left to my own devices, I could easily go home, like talk, I'll, I'll exaggerate and say, talk to no one, just sort of hang out or just sort of hang out with my family. And that's it. But at the same time, and I'm going to guess you maybe don't see me that way because, you know, we're running or you see me coaching or doing stuff. No, I think you see you exactly that way. You just listen to me while we go for 13 miles or 20 <laughs> miles. Yes. And then we're done. And I'm like, that was a fast run. And you're like, you didn't shut up. That's, <laughs> that's why. That's right. It passed the time. <laughs> it got us through. That's all that matters. Um, but I, I recognize... Um, the benefits of social connection, um, having community, right? Yeah. But we've broken that down. I mean, it's, be, it's, it's broken. Like, it's broken down. I'm, I am actually pleasantly surprised at how it has, be, it, like, quickly has responded, I think, in general. Um, people who I was surprised. I was talking to Matt Lunning about this, and he and I sort of had this gentleman's bet um, – ongoing for months of, yeah. like, I was like, look, when, when masking in – like when masking is let up, you're still going to have a huge portion of people that are going to be masked. And it's still interesting to me, the ones that are still masking and most mm -hmm. of them are vaccinated, fully vaccinated. My assumption is, and even when I talk to them, they're fully vaccinated, but they're, 
They're still doing it, mm-hmm. but that's not a, I was actually expecting to be a lot bigger portion. And I don't want to be this, I don't want this conversation to be a COVID conversation or a masking sure. conversation, but like in a lot of ways, um, I, I don't think for me, cause, cause I've been able to engage with people like mm-hmm. in a human way, mm-hmm. um, throughout this whole thing. But I think a lot of people have not, and it's got to weigh on you. I would it would weigh on me, and I and I would say I'm not necessarily an extrovert naturally, but I'm like you. I I, I enjoy it, and and um, I sort of shy away from it. But when I do engage, uh, I walk away being like, "Oh, that was great," you right. know. Right. Um. So what I would say is I don't know that it. Um, I wouldn't say it wrecked it. I I would say like anything else, it it changed things. Um, you were asking about the, sort of the anxieties and stressors of, of being a student or, you know, the students I would be working with. Um, and I would contend that it changed that experience. Um, like it did for anybody in school, your kids, my kids, grade school, middle school, high school, doesn't matter. Um, employees. Um, so I'll use myself as an example because I, I think it, it can extrapolate. Um, working remotely, talking with people via Zoom, and so that's fine. Um, but I remember very distinctly um, at some point turning to my wife and saying, "Look," because she was still able to go to, um, to go to her work during all of this. I said, "Look, you are going to come home to the same mess that exists in our house." <laughs> when you left is when you leave um because i'm sitting around the house on meetings and things and what do i see well look at this mess in this room let me put these dishes away oh, i'll go change a load of laundry and and so i'll talk with students about this too where you think there are these five minute tasks this will be really quick but what, what they miss is thinking about that task takes you takes you, mentally takes you away from the task at hand what takes what should take five minutes you normally is going to take you ten, hmm. and then you got to jump back into the task that you were doing. So what should be five minutes ends up being twenty, mm-hmm. right? So it changes that experience, um, and then I would also argue that it changes the experience because you have, if you're someone that normally was working from home, well now you maybe have kids home or a spouse home, and so it it just changed that whole experience. Um, I know some people that have kind of loved it and are not reticent to go back, but really have come to appreciate the sort of the benefits of being able to, to work from home and do things remotely. Um, and, it, and it's not a fear of coming back because, well, who's, you know, someone vaccinated or not, or, you know, how close we're going to be around to people. It's it's just I like doing things this way now, right. um, and then I know other people that have been dying to get back because they do need that social interaction and just it it's what charges their batteries. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I, I can definitely see the the uh, you know the efficiencies for me when I'm especially like summer now. Um, if I've got if I've got two or three hours of work I want to do mm-hmm. on a Thursday or Friday, mm-hmm. uh, where when the kids were in school, 
I could plan for things to be, I could dedicate my time, but it was, I'm not as efficient as if I'm in the office, even if I'm not seeing patients. The problem is if I'm in the office, the inclination is if I'm there, I can deal with, I can deal with office things, like sure. things that are, that are, I don't need to deal with today where I can focus. And if I'm at home, I can focus on how am I going to run my practice and some of the practice business and just like thinking oh, about my sure. practice without being interrupted by the practice. Yes. But I have to I have to manage that with, you know, Dad, can I have a pancake? You know, <laughs> it's like you just ate breakfast. I just made you breakfast. Right. Um and so so like that's worse in the summer. But it is it is interesting because you you say that um there's these different dynamics that you don't even think about. Cause I know if I sit down, it does take sort of this time to kind of gather my thoughts and get involved and like focus your, your brain. And then you sort of start moving in a direction and then boom, you know, right. snaps you right out of it. Yes. Yes. And then you got to go through that whole process of trying to get back do into these, it. Do these play a lot of role in that oh, just phones? in general? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's. Did you bring yours in? Yeah. It's sitting in my pocket. You haven't checked it yet. No. That's good. Well, I I have a I have a small streak in me that says, well, this is this is what's um, cool and exciting in our society, so I'm not going to do it, right? <laughs> so I can also not check it just yeah. to be obstinate. Yeah, if the listeners saw you, they'd know you're definitely not a rebel. <laughs> well, that's that yeah. is very true. <laughs> that is very true. Um, but yeah, so things like phones are are a constant distraction. Yeah. Um, and even when it doesn't alert me. Sometimes I'm just like, I'll be there and I'll be working. And then it's like two, three, four steps go, you know, like, okay, I'm going to, I'll just check on this, check on that, check on this. Now I'm at my phone. Yes. Like, oh, yes. You know? And then you're scrolling through and I got this app open and this app and I'm scrolling through these going, wait, what am I doing here? Yes. I, we didn't have to deal with that when we were in school. No. Or we were in our training. I've, I have, um, you, it's, it's funny to watch students faces when I say, you know, when you're studying, you can just turn it off. Like, oh, I put it on silent. I said, no, I know. You could turn it off. Like, if, if you miss that text, your world is generally still going to keep moving, right? Um, but it is, it's so normative now that to suggest to turn it off or not have it around it's crazy. you. crazy. It, yes, it gets, it gets wonderful looks. Um, but the students that do it will come back. I got so much done. Mm. Yeah. Because even when it's not on your mind, it's on your mind. Right. Like, well, did, I, did I miss a text? Maybe yeah. a buzz. I didn't hear it. Um, or the phantom watch, like, yes. ding, you know? Yes. Or you, I, I always have, I don't, my watch doesn't make any noise, but it, it vibrates, yeah. right? So I've had that multiple times where I'm like, and I'm checking it. I'm looking down and checking my watch. And it's like nothing, there nothing. wasn't anything, but it nothing. felt like yeah. there was something. Yes. So it's even just the little taps on your wrists now that are just normal taps by moving your body around are yeah. poking that up. So weird. And, th- and things like your phone. It, so I also, I, I also, I teach an intro to introduction to psychology class. And when I'm talking about reinforcement schedules, they talk about, um, you just teach that for undergrads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's fixed interval, fixed ratio. So am I getting my reward after a certain passage of time? So I get, paycheck every two weeks right versus a fixed um interval excuse me fixed ratio where you know i'm getting 
paid for every, or I get a bonus every, what, 10 cars I sell, something like, you know. Mm. So it doesn't matter. It's not time-based. It's um, achievement-based. Achievement, yeah, yeah. Right. Or, that, or you can have either one of those, but on a variable schedule. So after a certain amount of time, it's not always the same. Um, or a variable ratio. Variable ratio are things like slot machines. <laughs> or when you go fishing, right? Is it one cast? Is it two casts? Is it three casts? I don't exactly know, but every once in a while, you get a fish. And what does that make you want to do? Keep fishing, hmm. right? It to me, it's it makes my, me not want to fish. <laughs> to, to, me it's, to me, it's my golf game, right? Yeah, I right. need a good shot. I I say about every three holes or so. You just never know when it's going to come, but it's it's the shot that keeps you playing. Hmm. Your phone, that like they ding, not at a regular interval. Interval. It's not under every certain amount of time where you could anticipate it hmm. and know I can ignore this for a while, right? It it's so inconsistent it's this hmm. variable ratio kind of schedule that it makes you keep checking hmm. do they get to reply to that text um you and i are you know old enough where it's like i could say email right younger people younger don't look at email right everything is texting on your phone but for me it's like well let me check my email like well maybe maybe somebody else miss, wants me to do it? some work for him <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah right right so yes terribly um, distracting. What should we do about it? Well, you may be asking the wrong guy because I'm also someone that at times I think, you know, I can read a map and mm. I can check my email at work and at home. I've thought about that before. I've so, thought about do I get maps. rid of a Do I get rid of a smartphone? I mean, when I moved down to Oklahoma, we were, you know, we printed it. We still, in fairness, we were far enough away where I, I, I know how to use a map, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And navigate through it myself. Mm -hmm. But I would still go to MapQuest or Google's had, Google had sheets, right? But we, right. I, I, you know, type it out, print it off. Yes. And I even remember when I first started speaking, when I was just out of school, I didn't have an iPhone. And um, I, would, I would know where am I going to stay and where am I going to lecture? Mm -hmm. And I would print off directions to get from the airport to yes. the hotel, from the hotel to the the school yes and um and then back I would, I would do reverse directions right so like i didn't have to like think about navigating a map mm -hmm. um so far gone so i remember going to a lake with my wife and we had passed through one town and then the next town was going to be the exit and i go oh that's eight miles and i had had a map open just because i just kind of curious and just reading it she goes how do you know that you've never been there and i go well, here's the dot for the town we just went through. Here's the dot for the town we got here's to exit. Here's how large a mile And it is. says, no, there was an eight. Oh, there you was. Go, that's eight miles. Done. And I look back at that experience and go, that's great problem solving. If I don't got a phone, I can still find where I need to go. My kids are going to have no idea how to do that. And there's part of me that, you know, sort of laments, oh, man, what a lost art, lost skill. And I think, is it? Yeah. Did you really need to spend your brain power to, to worry about that? Now, I would argue, I think that's great, right? But at the same time, it to me, it's like spelling. Um, I think spelling is important. I don't. Well, <laughs> at the same time, there's a squiggly blue line under anything or red line under anything I misspell on my computer, and it will fix it for me. 
I mean, at this point, I start writing emails and I can hit tab because it's puts. Yep, yeah. that's what I want to say. Yeah. So just fill that Is in. Is it for what me. you want to say, or it's good enough? Sometimes, well, I'll say both. Sometimes yeah, it is it's, both. Yep, that's what I want to say, and sometimes you go, oh, that's close enough. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but if it's, you have any questions or concerns, yes, yeah, or I concerns did, is I good. Want, I did want yes. to say that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yes. Huh. Yeah. But but psychologically, um, and just like for our emotional well-being, good or bad, should we shut the things off? Should we delete apps, social media, good or bad? Oh, well, that, that's wonderfully loaded. Um, I, it's like anything. Let me start with the first one. Should we shut them off at nighttime when we get home? So my answer is going to be the same in terms of shutting it off at nighttime when you get home or what do you do with social media? Ah, okay. It depends. Ah, on what? The person, right? Can, can, you, can you set those boundaries for yourself? Can you, can you walk away from your phone? Um, it's, it's like any... I say it's like any behavior. It's like anything. Anything in moderation, right? Mm-hmm. Too much of something, not good. Too little of something, well, you know, that's little, can be harder to say isn't good. But um, somewhere in the middle. Um, so, are mean, there tricks that, like, if if you're having a student that's or you know that is having a challenge that you've identified that that's that's likely a challenge with their focus. Mm-hmm. What kind of things do you help them with to try to say like, okay, well, let's just set these boundaries. Uh, are there things that are, that work well? Like maybe we don't turn it off, but we put it in a space that we sure. never. Yeah. Oh, you know, I might, I might, again, let's run an experiment. Let's try, let's try putting it away or at least turn it on silent. Right. Um, or let's put it away. Or if, I mean, if they're willing, like, let's turn it off and let's just see what happens. Right. See how you do, because depending on, who you're working with to say, shut it off, like power it down. That itself can be really stressful Hmm. and really distracting. Um, So it, it will kind of depend on that, on who it is that you're working with, but it's, it's the same as like, well, what's your favorite snack, right? Well, I, I can't have too many of these cookies or this kind of chip or whatever. You go, well, okay, then either you have to limit yourself when you go to eat that, or depending on your level of self-control, you don't buy it. Right? I'm a sucker for ice cream. Me too. What's your favorite? Oh, just chocolate. Just yeah. chocolate ice cream? If you put what brand. Chocolate, what brand of chocolate ice cream. Oh. I don't know that I care. What? Here's the here's the deal. What do you buy most of? You we don't have we don't have ice cream in the house okay. for this reason. <laughs> um, you put chocolate and mint together. What kind of mint? Like mint ice cream? Yeah, not cho- not mint chocolate chip. Um, sure, mint chocolate chip. But here's the deal: then crush up Oreos, mm. throw that in there, mix that together, delish, <laughs> awesome. Um. Well, I'm now I'm wonderfully sidetracked. I don't remember exactly where we were going with you, this. You were limiting ice cream in your diet. Ah, oh yeah. So I, you know, I kind of recognize like this is 
uh, every it's clockwork nine o'clock oh yeah, me like, too at some point like yeah yep, i'm, I'm actually right ready now i'm ready for ice cream yes. a big bowl of ice cream yes and it's like we're doing all this running and at some point i'm like well, this is like zero sum game. Like I'm not getting any benefit. Oh, that's because I run in the morning and then I eat a big yeah. cup of ice cream at night. So you go, I need to, we're going to get rid of this. Um, because I know myself. Now there's other stuff where you go, like, I'm, a, I'm a Cheez-It fan, right? Cheez-It? Yes. Really? Yes. Not good for you at all. Um, Who says? Well, the nutrition label for what? <laughs> The nutrition label doesn't say this isn't good for you, especially if you don't understand the nutrition label. Well, let's say that it would be like ice cream, but that I... But bread group, remember when we were growing up, bread group was on the bottom. Yes. Cheese it, fall into the bread group. And then right above that, what was the next group? Proteins? Uh, I think probably milk. Was it? I don't know. Dairy yes. had its yeah. own probably, category. Probably you, had, probably you had bread and then dairy, right? <laughs> the, the two most uh, egregious... Uh, yes. lobbies yes. right food lobbies yes. and cheeses would fall into the f- two In- bot- bottom <laughs> food groups that's right it's <laughs> killing two birds with one stone that's right. i was being efficient really more than anything else yeah but that's one of those things i can i can sort of set a limit for myself so you know that's that's fine things like cell phones and social media to me are are the same um the same as cheeses yeah oh yeah yeah so um, you can set a limit easily I can, because um, I didn't grow up with them. Yeah. I think the same thing for me. I think I can set a limit on on cell phone usage in general, but I do t- find myself like even, like I don't really, I don't need it. And actually I, I learned this lesson. So I was, um, so you know, I was getting up to run early. This was in January and they had these new set of rules that came out you know, a year ago for how we use uh, evaluation and management codes. Mm-hmm. And nobody paid attention to them for a year until, because they were going to go live January 1st, 2021. Nobody mm-hmm. paid attention. And then all of a sudden, everybody's asking all these questions. And I had I had kind of updated everything and talked about everything. And there was a lot of ambiguity ambiguity still within the the guidance that we were being given. So we had to interpret. Mm-hmm. And so we interpreted one way or the other. And, um, and I tried to use, like, I tried to be a conservative interpreter, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of being as conservative as possible. Meaning that like, if we're going to make a decision, a judgment, it's going to lead us down the path of a lower, uh, a lower code. Mm-hmm. In this case though, um, I made the air of, um, of, assuming that it was going to be similar to older systems, right? So I said, okay, here's the older system. Here's what they told us to do in the older system. Mm -hmm. You're being ambiguous here. It's probably, if you're ambiguous, it's probably going to mean we can revert toward the older system, right? So I tell you all this to say, you know, I check my phone usually before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. No need to. I don't need to do that. Right. I'm getting up to run first thing in the morning. I check my phone, right? Mm-hmm. It's four o'clock in the morning. I get up. I check my. I check my phone. Who's contacting you? And at I 4 see. A.m. Yeah, and I see. Well, no, no. It was just. It was just a, an email. Just an yeah. errant, uh, an errant email that I got from somebody that attended something that I did a month or two before. Sure. That that read something else that was like updated the night like that night before, gotcha. or there was new guidance. I think it was actually what happened was there was new guidance that came out that night before, and I see it, and I was like. 
Oh, oh. And I, you know, you, you think of like how many people did I talk to about this, and how do how do I oh, correct sure. it? Like mm-hmm. it didn't. The thing was, is it didn't need to be corrected at four o'clock in the morning, right? Right. I didn't need to know that information at four o'clock in the morning. So like right. a run, a workout that I was planning on going, hang, you know, running with with people, like um, kind of letting my brain go. All I could do was think about how can I rectify all the the terror that I've done to the world. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And, and so like, I it's think it's an injustice. About, yeah, no. And, and that's, right. but, but that's, that's like, the sense. and so I, I think about that and I had enough time to afterwards think, okay, well, I'm not going to check it at, right before bed and I'm not going to check it first thing. I, that went out. the. I mean, that goes out the window quick. Right. Yeah. But the, the point is, is that, um, you and I are old enough mm-hmm. to separate ourselves from that. People mm-hmm. you're working with now are kids. Right. It is built into the cake. Correct. Um, how much of a problem is that? That's a great generational question. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily describe it as a problem because it's the reality. I was thinking about this a couple days ago. Could they not thrive in their world without that? Um, I... Would they be a weirdos? I think it would be a challenge, um, if I'm being honest. Mm. And again, this is all this is just me. Yeah. Um, because it is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, it is. It is the norm. I at times will. Go for go for a walk. Go for a run. Go run some errands. Um, I forget. There was a couple days in the last month, like two days, where I didn't have my phone um, at work. Left it at home when I left for the day. So I sent an email to my wife saying, "Hey, if you need to get a hold of me, call my office because I don't have a phone." And I, to me, that's it's, there's this liberating feeling with it, like. You can't, oh. you can't talk to me while I'm on yes. my way to the office. It's, well, like, <laughs> I'm... You're untethered. Yes. Not to your wife, but just to the thing. Just to the thing, right? To being always available. Um, and not that I hmm. want to be unavailable, right? But you can, you can survive without it, right? But I have half of my life's experience it says yeah you don't need this and that's okay um our kids it's it's different and i think it's a challenge um because it is everywhere um my my oldest is entering high school just got a cell phone we always do that too. We get, you know, that's kind of our thing is once ours one year before that, but yeah. well, they'll get a cell phone once they hit eighth grade and yeah. they're going to need to, you know. And it's, and the challenge is, it's like everybody else has it. So, like, and they don't have it in, in ninth grade or eighth grade. Most of my, my kids' friends have it when they're way fifth, sooner. Right. Fourth. Right. Yeah. And I'm, and, and I'm not, here saying what one is right or one is yeah, wrong, yeah, I, I but, it, it, but it's just we don't judge people in our society well, anymore. No, not at all. We're not. Oh, you you weren't being facetious. No, 
No, I'm serious. We don't judge people. We don't judge actions anymore as good or bad. Sorry, let's go to your... We'll, we'll come up with that in a well, second. Yes, we Rarely. Do. Well, we've judged them. We've judged that we've twisted some of the judgments around. Well, that's going to be a whole nother podcast, Chris. Um, I didn't tell you how long this was going to run. Oh, that's I? true. That is that is very true. <laughs> um, it's... I would, I would say it was... Um, to not have a cell phone or any type of social media before now was difficult for him. Did he survive? Yes. Um, do I think he learns some good lessons through that kind of experience? Yes. Um, but at the same time, can he look at me in the eye? I can't remember. Can your kids look at me in the eye if I talk to them? They shake my hand and they would. Yeah, I think um, they would too. I, I think I, would, I've met them and I, I think they, if I rec- recall, it know, be, sometimes I have to tell my kids still. I'll yes, them. yes. I mean, it'd be wonderfully awkward just because of the ages that they are. Yeah. But um, yes, but that's something, you know, we're, we're very intentional about. It's hard to know. It's just hard to know what I did when I was their age too, right? Like, like my oldest daughter, who's going to be a sophomore, she's right on there, right? She, yeah. she gets it. So th- this is why I said this was a tough generational question because what I was thinking about a couple of days ago was look at our parents' generation and they could easily look at our generation and say, well, we didn't have all that and we turned out fine. And so yeah, you, you don't, don't need want to any be of that. that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I can look at younger generation and go, well, I didn't need all that. You don't need all that. But at the same time, this is the lived, this is their lived reality, right? So what is, what does that mean lived reality what do you mean by that um this is it's the reality that they are living in um for for isn't, me to isn't say, just reality for, reality like why do we have to do we have to to label it a something a that's lived isn't just reality reality uh boy you like the big questions, Chris. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm trying. There's Why terms, do I need that qualifier? There's terms that I hear that innately make me feel weird. Like, why did we throw lived in experience? Mm. Isn't experience, in fact, by the nature of the definition, one that you experience? Like, like why, why do we, I mean, I'm just... I'm not trying to be philosophical. I'm not trying to break down words. It's just interesting to me why I hear these terms sometimes. And I'm kind of like, what, what do you, what it, is it different than just reality? Or is it, is it, does it mean something else that we're all talking about? Like we think we know what people are talking about. But we don't really know. So let me, let me put it this way. When, so when I'm saying it's his lived reality, it's not my lived reality at his age. So right? it's not, so, it wasn't, so wait, wait. You could say it's his reality. Yes. But it wasn't your reality. It was, it was not my reality. reality. Right. So what's the func- the function verbally of lived? For me, um, it is. Is just it a, just sort of the way we talk now? It's just the way we talk now? Maybe. Why? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not expecting no, you to have I the know. answer because I, I don't know. Right. 
I don't, I don't know. know, but but it seems like we've we've sort of maybe I don't know language changes. Like I remember when yeah. I was growing up, something was really cool was mad fat, right? Now sure. it's right. bussin'. Right, my kids oh, say, "Oh, it's cooler bussin'. than me." Oh, you don't know that yet. All I know is, they no, just, my kids no can't cap. wait. They're gonna I listen. No cap. Yeah, they're gonna listen to this, and they can't, they can't wait when they hear me say say bussin. Um, but but my point is, is that that like bussin. I'm gonna use that when I get should. home. And yeah, I'm like, you should use it with your students. Yeah. Um, the but then there's other things like I think this is different. Like when we talk about a lived experience, a lived reality, like well, it's redundant. It's redundant. Why and why? Why do we? Why do we? Why has that change occurred? It almost to me signals like, well, is it is it actually saying that there are there are different realities? Like my reality, so, yeah, so is I'm, different than your reality. Well, so, so I have to qualify it by saying my lived. Yes, reality. and I think that that maybe is the distinction, right? So it's it's the idea, the question of, um, what's the phrase? Perception is reality, yeah. right? And, yeah. and are you on board with that idea or not? Because um, we can be at the same ball game, soccer game, whatever, right? Kids play. Experience it very differently. Whose reality is right? Whose reality is wrong? See, you said you didn't want to get philosophical, and no, yet here we I, I are. I do. I that's exactly what I do. It, you know, it, it takes sometimes it takes some time, but it's interesting to me because so my experience, I would I would grant you that my experience might be different than yours. Mm-hmm. Same soccer game, but the reality of the soccer game has to be the same, right? So. So like, we'll, we'll, let's put it this way. Let's say we both go to the same soccer game. Mm-hmm. You sit on, on um, you know, the, the home team side. I sit on the yeah. opposing team you side. You betcha. My kids versus your kids. Exactly. My kids win, obviously. <laughs> the, uh, you're coaching, right? You're oh. roughing, right? <laughs> the, um, <laughs> right? Our goals count as two. Yeah. So, uh, so if that's the case, our experiences are different. But Correct. the 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 reality of the game can that be different? Because then what I'm saying is, and I'm just trying to. I don't know the answer. I'm not trying to tease out some sort of like. I it's just you know when I hear you talk about it, then it's just leading me to think about it. But you know when we say lived reality, or is it just another way to say our experiences, or is there something deeper? in our psyche to say, to, to trick, to inform somebody to say, you can't tell me what's right or wrong. This is how I've experienced it. So it is right. Uh, so maybe I might put a qualifier on there or change the word right. It might be a way of acknowledging this is my reality from my lived experience and perceptions of what happened. What do you mean? Sorry, lived, lived experience. experience. I know it came out of my See? mouth and I was like, I knew he's going to, he's going to jump on this <laughs> word. So this is, it's a way of acknowledging this was my experience or my perceptions of these events. And so that is what is coloring my reality. Your which, perception which, of what occurred, which may, yes, which would be, which allows for it to be different than yours. Right. 
Yeah. So, but but I think fundamentally words mean something. So I'm just Agreed. wondering why our words have changed, where where reality is has to be qualified. You know, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, this is the first time I've really explored it in depth. But but there's this sort of this innate. I've never talked to anybody about it. But when I yeah. hear that, I just am like, it doesn't sound right. It's not mm. it, like, so I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, um, I'm sure we're boring people, but, but it, it's interesting to me. So I'm going to continue with it is this, this idea of like, is there something else about using that term that, that shuts people down? Like that is intended subconsciously or consciously mm-hmm. to say, I am, this is how I feel when I, and I'll just, I mean, look, I could be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't think I am. I actually, I think I'm correct about this. You're correct but, in your lived reality? No, I'm correct in, in my actual <laughs> experience, which may or may not match up with reality. Yes. Is, is that my, my sense is that when people say that, they're saying it to say, I don't want to engage with, with you on the actual facts of what occurred. Mm. I want mm-hmm. I want you to accept what I am saying mm-hmm. as my experience mm-hmm. and not um and not have any engagement about the actual facts of what may or may not have occurred. Mm. So so I, I say that to say I wonder if it's just not a way that our our language in our society has has polarized us and to tie that back into our social media mm-hmm. uh, discussion is that I know if I describe it in this way because reality is a word that triggers like real, concrete, solid. It doesn't need There's a, a definitive aspect. Correct. To it. it doesn't need a qualifier. So if I say my lived reality, I'm saying this is concrete, real, yeah. uh, exact, and you can't challenge it because it is truth. As opposed to if I say my feelings about this situation or my experience in watching it allows for a back and forth. That's interesting because so I just I was going to play devil's advocate Please. and and say, could it be that to say lived reality rather than shut down dialogue opens up the space for your experience to be different than mine, yours to be true and mine to be true, even if they don't exactly match up in the same experienced event. Well, I would I. It, I'll acknowledge because I I actually think that you might be right. I don't think you are. I think you might be right. My my point in bringing it up is if I just say, "Hey Kevin, my experience when we run when I when I told you that I thought you were scared of X." And that was my perception of our conversation that we had on our last run. Mm-hmm. I may have overstepped my my boundaries or my under my full understanding. I may have actually misunderstood your perspective, but my interpretation of that perspective was that you're afraid and that's why you're doing this thing. And I think the way that that conversation went and that conversation goes is um, I'm telling you, this is, this is my perspective of how you were reacting and how you were behaving toward a different reality or like a a true fact that occurred or true things that occur in our space, right? And um, and so I say, okay, this is how I'm interpreting that. 
I think that actually leads to more back and forth dialogue than if I say, my lived reality, Kevin, is that you are afraid. And like, to me, it seems like that wording would be more, less conducive to you coming back and saying, no, Chris, you're wrong. I, I'm not afraid. I am this, right? I'm mm-hmm. that. And, and I wonder if it wouldn't, if I approach things in that way, if it wouldn't, it wouldn't allow for other give and take. And, and then in the broader sense of the term is that have we gotten to the point with social media and with some of these other things where if I use these terms, I know nobody can disagree with me. I can always be right. Sure. What do you think about that? I'm always right. Boom. <laughs> this, this, is, this is where you think you're sponsoring. You're like, I'm done. We're good. <laughs> this is the end of that podcast. That's right. Um, it's just getting good. No, that it's, that it's an interesting... It's an interesting conundrum. Because um, it does... I mean, I, I, I can see what you're saying in terms of you're right, I'm right, we're both right, so that's it. Um, in terms of that's your lived reality, this is my lived reality. Yes. So We have no engagement. So we there's no there, there's no need for a back correct, and forth. Correct. It's let's agree to it's basically saying let's agree to disagree. Yeah. It, so uh, let me let me actually which is which is a we're trying to end an argument, right? So it's well, we'll just agree to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. I, see what, I mean, I see what you're saying. So so I'm I'm just curious if 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 the words and again having not really thought through why I'm uncomfortable when I hear that. Yeah. Is it because I have no ability to engage with a person when I hear those terms? Mm. And, 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 and you're saying, and I want to make sure, because again, I'm trying to engage with the way you're, you're feeling. As opposed to playing devil's advocate, I'll go with you and say, do you really think that when you say, those, when you say it like that, you know, somebody's lived reality, um, do, you, do you expect when, that, when you say that, do you expect that there to be any, like, there's actually more engagement in what that lived reality actually means in in fact reality, or is it easier to engage with somebody if I were to just say, "These are my feelings about the situation," or "This is my perspective about a situation." Hmm. Um. You know, this may or may not be sort of what you're what you're describing for me, at least. My experience in terms of, of talking about things that way and acknowledging other people's experiences from the perspective of their quote-unquote lived reality is, is simply an acknowledgement of their own experience. Um, what they observed, what, how they reacted, why their experience might be the way that it was, um, regardless of whether or not it is similar than mine, different than mine, something I agree with, something I disagree with, just that's what this was like for you. Why can't we just say that? Well, that's a great question, Chris. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know either. I yeah. don't know either. And, right. and I, I just wonder if it's not why I don't feel uncomfortable with it. Is like, like 
you know, I don't feel comfortable with that, that term. And I don't know why. Mm. And, and to me, it almost, again, this could be my lived reality, yeah. but when I hear that term, to me, it signals like, Hey, I don't want to, I don't really want to talk about this. I just want you to accept what I'm saying mm. and, um, and just be fine with it. So what's interesting for me is I, my, my, my lived reality on this idea is that it is inviting dialogue. Hmm. That's interesting because it's, it's an acknowledgement of your experience, your perception may be different than mine. And I'm willing to sort of jump over to your perspective and, and understand it. Hmm. I probably I'm, need to, so I'm, I need to think about that. Uh, then what I probably need to do is shift my perspective to when I hear that term to try to lean into the conversation and engage more in the conversation because maybe I'm just misunderstanding the use of it um, and try to try to engage more in the conversation because I, I, I actually feel like when that happens, I feel like, well, I can't go anywhere here. I can't, I can't, I can't explore those ideas and maybe it's just it's just my this misunderstanding. Is, and to me, this is the beauty of dialogue. Yeah, because that's a perspective that I hadn't considered. But as as you're describing, it, you go, oh, that makes some sense. I I get where Chris is coming from. I can I can wrap my head around that. Hmm. Um, different perspectives. I'm not saying I don't know which one's right or which one's wrong. Yeah. Like I mean, all things, I w- I'm going to say it depends. It's nature versus nurture. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> I hope your listeners know that this is exactly what this is what our how our runs go. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm sure they. Yeah, they'll never come on a run with us. That's Next time right. I ask somebody to work out at five fifteen in the morning, the answer is right. going to be nope, nope. No thanks. Yeah. Um, well, I I think uh, I'll be respectful of your time. I've gone way over what I promised you we'd go. So yeah, maybe right. we'll continue this another time. Yeah. Um, So thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure.